This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Won't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Amen. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it is the spirit of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited about this new sermon series on reclaiming your joy. Um, I've been meditating on this since last year, uh, so God has really taught me a lot about this, uh, this, this fruit of the Spirit called joy. And the question comes today, how, how do we get to that place of joy? Uh, the Scripture has already been read in your hearing. You've, you've met uh, Patsy and Alice Wilson, who's really the inspiration behind this sermon series. It all started one day when I went to go visit her, and I discovered, I went there to encourage her, and I left her house feeling encouraged. Amen. She's a hundred years old. Amen. Amen. And she embodies, embodies joy. And so she has become a dear friend of mine. Uh, on this coming Wednesday, we have these series called The Journey of Joy. So on Wednesday, uh, in the, you will get an email, the connector, and in that email will be this video of at me interviewing Alice. So don't ignore the connector this, this, this Wednesday, amen? When it shows up, click on it. Amen. Amen. So every Wednesday, we'll, you will get a Journey of Joy story, and Miss Alice will be the first one uh, that you hear on reclaiming your joy. So what we want to do today is kind of really build a case for joy uh, before we even talk about reclaiming your joy. I'm not convinced that all of you, that all of us are uh, really value joy in the sense of where we are right now. Sometimes we are in a dark spot. Uh, we're in a dark place. Uh, we are discouraged. Uh, we feel a sense of grief. I don't know where you are today, but I want to build a case for joy, that there is a way uh, for joy even to be present in our life, even in the midst of grief and sorrow. As the psalmist said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So we want to analyze this refreshing fruit of joy and how Jesus' description of it should impact the life of his followers. To show that joy is an act of resistance against despair and its forces. Uh, to discover how joy can serve as a witness for our Lord. See, joy is a work, and this is what William James Jennings, you, you'll hear me say this again, is a work that can become a state that can become a way of life. So the question is, what is joy? How can joy become characteristic of our, of our lives? What is the difference between joy and happiness. Do you view God as a joyous God? Do you picture God smiling, 
You know, in the African-American tradition, we sing a song, God has smiled on me, which implies that God smiles. Do you think Jesus laughed? We have a verse that says that Jesus wept. But wouldn't it be awesome if we had one verse of Scripture that said Jesus laughed? Now, when you read the Gospels, there's some passages, some pericopes in the Gospels that you, you, you read that you read and say, Jesus had to have laughed right there. I don't know why John didn't put it in there. And so we, we, we want to explore this idea, how do we get to joy? How do we get to a place of joy? Uh, one writer put it this way that, you know, happiness is a mile wide and an inch deep. But joy is a mile wide and a mile deep. And that's what we want to highlight today, that joy is much deeper than happiness. It's much wider than happiness. And it's something that has been deposited in us. So first first of all, let us build a case for joy. And let's start with this working definition Uh, that was laid out by Dr. William James Jennings. He's a professor of theology at uh, Yale Divinity School. He defines joy as an act of resistance against despair and its forces. He goes on to say that joy is a work that can become a state, that can become a way of life. So let's let's parse this this definition. First of all, joy is an act of resistance. We already know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, joy is mentioned in the Old Testament 88 times, and in the New Testament it's mentioned 57 times. So that that tells us that the Holy Spirit wants us to uh, take notice of this word joy for it to be mentioned so many times. And so we we know of, of this word joy in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, which says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think it's interesting that joy is, is right behind the word love. And after joy comes the word peace. So I don't think it's a, a coincidence that that. Uh, Paul put the word joy right between love and peace. Joy is God's gift to us. It's in our DNA as Christians. It comes naturally by virtue of our relationship with the triune Godhead. Therefore, it's not something that that we pursue. It's something that we already possess possess as followers of Christ. We just have to tap into it and become increasingly aware of this gift, this fruit of the Spirit called joy. It's it's, it's important for us to notice in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, and, and actually in Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 21, that even in this passage, it's defined or it implies that it's a resistance against the forces of evil. 
uh, that it, it is a resistance against evil, despair, and its forces. So it, it's an act of resistance. Every place you see the word joy in the New Testament is always couched in a sense where it's, res, it's a resistance against despair. It's always uh, couched in such a way where even in James, he said, count it all joy when you enter into various trials and tribulations. He's saying that joy is an act of resistance against trials and tribulations. So that, that, let's look at this. Let's tap into this. Secondly, a, it's an act of resistance against despair and its forces. Now, that's defined despair. Def, despair is defined as the complete loss or absence of hope and all the ways that it wants to drive us prematurely towards death. Now, I want y'all to walk with me on this now. I'm not going to leave you down into the valley of despair. I'm going to bring you back up. Amen, Amen somebody. Amen. But we got, to, we got to kind of come to terms with what I'm talking about before I get to what I'm talking about. Amen? Secondly, uh, despair, emotional despair, is the emotion or feeling of hopelessness. That is, that, that things are profoundly wrong and will not change for the better. Some, some of us are in that space where things are, there's something, something's wrong in my family. Something's wrong in the world. Well, we can see, we can see on the news that something's wrong. Something's wrong uh, in, in our lives. And, and we're trying to figure out how do we get out of it? So this concept of despair is a real feeling. The question comes today, what makes, what makes a person despair? What, what brings us to that place, that, that dark valley of despair? Well, it says we, we often feel despair after tragic events in our lives, especially when we experience a significant loss. And certainly during this pandi pandemic, all of us have experienced some form of loss, whether it be a loved one, a job, or not being able to go and do some of the things we would like to do. And so all of us have experienced some type of loss. It goes on to say it tends to be the main emotion people feel after a sudden traumatic event, which is normal, but can lead to irrational uh, decision-making. Uh, in the heat of the moment. And then the, the, the second part of this de definition, its forces. Despair is often accompanied by joy stealers called worry, stress, bitterness, helplessness, sadness, grief, fear, exhaustion, or isolation. So despair is a normal emotional feeling, but here's the thing. It should not be normalized. In other words, we should not wear despair as if it's, it's something that we keep on. We've got to take it off. 
We've got to take worry off. We've got to take stress off. It's, it's unnatural for human beings to wear stress, to wear worry, to wear bitterness, to wear helplessness, to wear sadness. It's unnatural for us to wear these garments of despair. But William James Jennings says that joy is a work. It's a work. Look, look at joy as a spiritual practice or discipline. Look at it uh, that must be cultivated through certain disciplines like prayer and worship. So it, it, it's a work, you have to work at it. it, it when, when you're in a society that's telling you to be sad or to be happy or to be, uh, to be mad, to be angry, and I was just driving down the road the other day and the person cut in front of me and I got into a bad spirit just like that. <laughs> Amen, somebody. I got into a bad spirit and the Holy Spirit just said, hold up. The Holy Spirit speaks to me like he's a rapper sometimes. He's like, hold up. <laughs> and immediately I said, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Uh, and, and so some, sometimes uh, the, the Spirit checks us, gives us a reality check in the midst of what we're going through. So joy is a work. It's something that we have to work at, worship. In, in, when we read the Old Testament, worship involves celebration and confession, rejoice and lament. Both practices were a part of Israel's rhythm of worship. The God of the Bible encourages joy. God, God does not intend for, for our religion to be just meditation and introspection, but it should be joy and celebration as well. So we have been called to resist despair and death in the deepest sense of the word. Resistance is what one writer called soul work. You have to resist it because as Christians, we are called to a higher level, a higher plane. And so we must resist those things that try to bring us to death, a premature death. So here's the thing, here's the thing, and this is what I want to lean into, that joy is a state of being. John 15, 11 is our first verse we want to, that we want to highlight. He says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, when we read this, this verse in its context, this is, this is John chapter 15, where Jesus tells the disciples he's getting, in 15, 16, and 17, he's preparing them for his departure. Jesus has spent uh, three years of concentrated time with his disciples. 24 hours a day, Jesus has spent time with them. He, he's, he's fellowship with them. He's... Uh, he's cooked and ate meals with them. He's, he's visited, he's, he's healed the sick. They watched Jesus in action. They have walked the dirty roads of Jerusalem together and Jesus has deposited a lot in them to prepare them for what lies ahead. And here Jesus is saying to them, I'm getting ready to leave you. I'm getting ready to go. And 
Jesus prepares them for what's getting ready to happen. But in the middle of that, he said, I have said these things to you. I want to give you a heads up so that my joy may be in you. That's where the deposit is being made. And that your joy may be complete. So the, 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 this verse is really implying that the Lord's joy is the basis or the foundation for the disciples' joy, and therefore our joy. That's the basis. That's the foundation. In other words, you and I consistently choose joy in spite of the challenges that, that we are facing. We, we choose joy when, when we're we are in, in a denial of despair and its forces. We choose joy. We, f we refuse to let joy defeat us and make us victims. We refuse to let it take us down. So in this state of being, we, we must look to the God who is greater than our circumstances. We must put our hope in the inner reality of who is in us. Jesus says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus has made a great deposit of joy into our lives, into our spiritual bank account. And we have access to that joy. We can withdraw it and use it for the times that we're going through, the grief that we may be going through. So last year around this time, my wife and I went to my hometown, Augusta, Georgia, to visit family, to visit my family. And my sister had taken ill, had a stroke, was, had to go to the hospital. And we rushed to the hospital. And on our way there, there was a gentleman on the corner of Green Street. And right there on that corner, he was just encouraging people, uh, quoting scripture. He had an excitement and a joy about himself. He was waving at everybody. He was smiling. It was 95 degrees outside. It was humid. And there he was on the corner just waving and encouraging every car that passed by. And he caught a lot of people's attention. And there I was at the red light, and I started looking at him. I said, what, what is going on with this guy? He met somebody. Amen. We went to the hospital to, to visit my sister, and we stayed there for a, for a few hours. And we left, and we went right back around that corner. And there he was, still waving at everybody. Two hours later, still encouraging people with Scripture, still waving and still smiling, and, and, and just had a profound sense of joy. I said, my goodness, how is this man able to do this for two, three hours? And I said, you know what? It, it, you know, I don't know, I don't know what's in him or who's in him. Amen, somebody. But it was obvious to me that, that as the Spirit spoke to me, the Spirit said, I, I, I want you to have that deepness, that profound sense of joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. Joy is a state of being. God wants us to, to be in this state of 
spiritual joy that the world can't give. And we have access. As Jesus says, I, I have said these things so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. But secondly, joy is a way of life. How do we embody joyfulness? How do we embody that? How do we live a life of joy? How do we exemplify that? I'm glad you asked that question. John 16, 20 to 24 is where, where I want to land on this concept of joy, this fruit of the Spirit. He says, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, as he speaks to his disciples, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. What a beautiful expression is Jesus encourages his disciples. He says, very truly, could be translated truly, truly, or amen, amen. It's a saying that implies that Jesus is in keeping with a, a traditional statement that's being made. He says, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. In other words, Jesus is saying that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the haters, the religious aristocracy of the day will rejoice while you're in pain. They, they, they will be glad that they've gotten rid of me, but, but you, you will mourn. He said, you will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. That Jesus is able to transform pain into joy, that Jesus is able to turn things around, turn situations around, that the pain or the grief or the anger or the despair or the depression that you may be feeling, just know that Jesus can turn it around. So don't normalize despair, don't normalize grief, don't normalize pain, Jesus will turn it around. Reminds me of a conversation of a mentor of mine we had one day while we were eating breakfast and I was sharing all the things that I had gone, gone through as a pastor and, and some of the things that, that I had experienced. And he said, Aaron, I just want you to know this, that God doesn't waste anything. God will take your pain and make something out of it. That all things work together for good for those who love the Lord who are called according to his purpose. God can turn your pain, your grief into joy. I know you may be in what one writer calls the dark night of the soul, but just know that God can pull you out of your despair. If you just reach for his hand, he can pull you out. 
He says, I, I, I can turn your pain, I will turn your pain into joy. Jesus uses this, this analogy this, of a woman in labor. She has pain because her hour has come. He uses this analogy to explain the emotional pain that the disciples will feel when he leaves, when he's on the cross. They're, they're, he's, he's trying to prepare them for what they're going to feel. Now, I, I want to caveat this, that Jesus is not talking about the physical pain that mothers go through. Uh, in Jewish tradition, the, you know, it, it stated because they, they didn't have any medicine to, to ease the pain when, when women were giving birth back then. And so it was almost a near-death experience when women gave birth. So here, Jesus uses this analogy, said whenever, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you, you have pain now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that joy, Christian joy, makes productive use of pain makes productive use of pain. Like a mother giving birth to a baby, the doctor tells her to push through the pain. And once the baby comes through the birth canal, she lays eyes on the baby. She is overwhelmed with great joy. I think there are many times in our lives, God says, I, I want you to push through the pain. Don't let the pain and grief get the best of you. Push through it. Push through the, the grief. Push through the loneliness. Push through the despair. Don't let it drive you to a grave. So I want to encourage you. I don't know what you're going through today, but don't sit in darkness, push through it. I don't know what, what you've experienced today, but I, I, I want, want to encourage you to, to push through that pain, push through that grief, push through that loneliness. God doesn't, doesn't want you to be lonely. He doesn't want you to be in despair. I want to encourage you today to push through it because God is taking you somewhere. God said, I, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Joy should be a way of life for every Christian. How do you get to that? Well, we have to cultivate it. We have to cultivate joy. We have to work at it. One of the main ways we cultivate joy is through prayer and worship. I like the way old Golden Mouth himself, St. John Christendom, put it this way. He says, prayer is the place of refuge for every worry, a foundation for cheerfulness, a source of constant happiness, a protection against sadness. 
You hear what St. John Christopher said? He said, it's, it's a repellent against sadness. That somehow, when I get down on my knees and I have an open conversation with God, God says, uh, I'm going to pull you out of that sadness. I'm going to pull you out of that grief. I want you to keep talking to me, even in the midst of a lo losing a loved one. I want you to keep praying to me, even in the midst of grief. I want you to keep lifting me up, even in the midst of pain. Because somehow, God answers prayer and pulls us out of that despair. We cultivate joy through prayer, worship. Here we are in this sacred spot where we come every Sunday to worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. And one of the reasons we do that is because sometimes Monday, Saturday through through, through Friday, Saturday through Friday, we, we often, well, Monday through, through Saturday, we often uh, go through a lot of things during those days. So when we come to worship, God wants us to cultivate that joy that he has deposited in us. As a matter of fact, Monday through Saturday, he wants us to cultivate that joy. So that when we come to church on Sunday, we've already full of joy. We just want to let it out. Amen, somebody. So you, you need, in order, in order to cultivate joy, you, you, you do it through prayer, you do it through worship. You, you need community to cultivate joy. We need brothers and sisters. That's why, that's why the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, knowing that the day is drawing near. And then he goes on to say, let us spur one another on to good works. There are times in our lives that we don't feel like doing good works. We don't feel like worshiping. We don't feel like praying. But if somebody next to me is praying, then it's going to rub off on me. If somebody next to me is worshiping the Lord, then it's going to rub off on me. It should rub off on me. So you, you, you and I, we need community to cultivate joy. We need space to cultivate joy. Space is often tied to Joy. That's why we have a place of worship. That's why you have a place in your home or you should have a place in your home where you meet God every morning or, during, or sometime during the day because that's your space, you, your space and God's space where you meet him. That's why in the Old Testament there are different, different places. It says that, that Daniel met, met God in prayer every day with, with the windows open to the east. He met him in a space. So we need community to cultivate joy. You know, I had the, the privilege of officiating at a wedding on yesterday. It was a beautiful wedding. And as I was standing there, listening to the groom and the bride exchange their vows. And I looked over the audience and I saw joy. I saw happiness. I looked at the parents and I saw a, a, a countenance of joy and happiness on their faces. And, and, I, and I looked at the bride and the groom and I saw this radiance coming from their faces as they were reading their vows to one another. I had a gift I wanted to give them. I had two little olive wooden crosses that I gave the groom and I gave the bride. And I told them, I said, this, this cross, 
No, the, 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 the ring is a great symbol, but the cross is a greater symbol. <laughs> that, that the cross represents, the C represents communication between you and God. Keep the lines of communication between you and God open and the lines of communication between you and one another. And the same thing can be said about us, as I said it to them. The R represents relationship, your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with one another. The stronger your vertical relationship is with God, the stronger your horizontal relationship will be with one another. The O represents oneness. Jesus said, I came that you might be one. So we should make every effort to keep the unity of the peace, uh, to make sure that we're operating in a spirit of oneness. The, the S, brothers and sisters, rec- represents sufficiency, sac- sacrifice. Uh, sacrifice. And, and as we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, so we must make sacrifices for one another. And then the last S is sufficiency. And I told them that you got everything that you need. God has made great deposits in you, and you got everything you need to have a successful marriage. But the same can be said of us today, that God has deposited everything we need to be victorious Christians. Everything that we need, the joy, the peace, the happiness, the the self-control, everything that we need to be successful. And really, brothers and sisters, those two crosses I gave them represent the currency of heaven. That those two crosses represented, you know, the, the, the cross represents, you know, like when we, when we have a coin, it usually has an image of somebody on it. Uh, and when we have a dollar bill or we have a $20 bill, it has the image of a president on it. But the cross has the image of Jesus on it. And it's the currency that we as Christians have that flows from hand to hand. That's why we glory in the cross, because God can turn pain, brothers and sisters, into joy. That's why we glory in the cross, because God can turn, he can change your your hate into love. That's why we glory in the cross. God wants us to turn our despair into peace. That's why we glory in the cross, because it's the currency that Jesus gives us to turn things around. That's why we look to the cross because that's that's where Jesus died on the cross for me and he exchanged his life for my life and he gave me his life. He gave me his victory. He gave me his love. He gave me his joy. He gave me his peace through the cross of Jesus Christ. So I would submit to you today The joy can become a way of life. And remember that you have everything that you need (laughs) to be successful. The joy is the currency that moves from hand to hand. God doesn't want you speaking death into someone. He wants you speaking life into someone. God doesn't want you speaking discouragement into someone. He wants you speaking encouragement into someone's life. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and brothers and sisters, as Christians, we should be people who are speaking life, life life-giving presence. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, 
We thank you, dear God, for the joy that you have deposited in us, dear God. And today, we have come to this place to reclaim our joy, to reclaim it, and to realize a great deposit has been made in us, Lord God. And so, God, help us to be people of joy, to live a joy-filled life, even in the midst of despair, the midst of pain. You want us to hold on to our joy. And Lord, there may be somebody here today, they're, they're in that dark valley, they're in, their, they're in that dark night of the soul. Lord, would you reach into the corridors of their hearts and minds and pull them out of that despair? Pull them out of that grief, Lord. Tell them that they don't have to normalize it. But Jesus came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, we give you great praise and great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.